no one. Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, at the end, I will be talking about 1978 Superman, which I just recently purchased and watched last night. But at the top, I want to talk about, I don't know, I guess I'll talk about games I've been playing. I've been playing this Kirby game, um, The Forgotten Land, and I like it. Although, I'm not really inundating myself with the game. I'm kind of listening to podcasts while playing the game, so I'm not really getting the full experience. I'm not hearing the soundtrack. So, I don't know, but I am enjoying it. And I like how the Waddle D town is kind of building up slowly. So, it remains to be seen, but I am enjoying it so far. As for the movies I've been watching, I watched The Devils, uh, Ken Russell. I heard about this on We'll See You in Hell, where it was they were talking about the new Space Jam movie and Pat Walsh was complaining that the nuns from the Devils appear in Space Jam and it was weird that they're not releasing the Devils on DVD or Blu-ray and you can't find it anyways anywhere streaming and yet the nuns are showing up in a kids movie so I I made a note of that and I, I wanted, I almost purchased it. And spoiler alert, I'm glad I didn't. But I got an email from Shudder saying it's like halfway to Halloween, six months till Halloween. So here's a bunch of movies you can watch. And The Devils was one of them. And it's, so it's streaming on Shudder. I watched it. I don't have too much to say about it. Um, I didn't find it all that disturbing. I guess it was banned in a bunch of places because nuns take their clothes off at one point, I guess. Um, the main guy, he was really good. He was It was like Shakespearean acting. I forget his name, but he I've never seen him before. or um, So he reminded me of a cross between like Jack Black and Jermaine Clement. Of Flight of the Concords fame. But he was good. And he gets married to this girl. And I thought the girl was Vanessa Redgrave the whole time. I don't... I've heard the name Vanessa Redgrave a bunch. But I don't know how she looks like. So I thought that girl was Vanessa Redgrave. But Vanessa Redgrave played this nun with a like a humpback. Or a hunchback. But anyway... The Devils, like, it was fine. I had a hard time following the plot because, for whatever reason, I can't get the subtitles to work on my TV, although the subtitles work when I watch it on my phone. I can't explain it. Um, I'm not Steve Jobs. But, so, I mean, I had a an easier time following the plot of Dune 1984 without subtitles than the devils without subtitles i didn't really know what was going on wikipedia helped slightly but i guess the story is um 
a governor in a town dies. So this priest, this high priest kind of takes over the town and one nun with a hunchback slash humpback has like some sort of sexual obsession with him and he ends up getting married to another nun i think so the hunchback lady tells on him to some higher-ups and tells him tells them that he's a witch and he performed witchcraft on her so they come to investigate and they decide that he's been performing witchcraft on all of them and they go like nuts they start taking their clothes off and they decide to kill the high priest i don't know i it was all right but it's not something i would ever want to revisit that's why i'm glad i didn't buy it um but it was fine i'm glad i watched it um it, it was fine i guess i don't know how do you like that vocal fry uh um the next movie i watched was the martyrs or martyrs 2008 i think also on shutter i remember seeing i think i saw it on some sort of list of very disturbing movies or something like that and it was disturbing it's a french movie and it opens up with a little girl like running she's like in a she she's probably like i don't know nine or something she's in like a tank top and i think panties i don't know why saying the word panties just makes me feel like a pervert panties um especially talking about a nine-year-old girl her head is shaved and she's running away and screaming i i I forget if she well anyway so then they like skip forward 15 years and these she's now a woman and she kills this family and i don't know it was the story was interesting i don't know if i have to go through the plot of all these movies i don't think the zero listeners listening care if i go through the plot synopsis but the story was interesting and um the performances are good the performance of the i forget her name anna i think she it was such a great performance and i was like sad to i looked up her wikipedia and she hasn't done anything since 2017 but they really i mean they quote unquote no well in the movie they torture her they really torture her badly they like push her and punch her and slap her around and i know it's a movie and it's fictional but they make it look very real and i mean when they when they're shoving this whatever slop gruel in her mouth there's no way to fake that they're really doing it so i feel like she really sacrificed herself and her body for this role for this movie for our entertainment and i found it to be kind of a bummer that she hasn't worked since 2017 maybe that was her choice so maybe i'm just 
talking out of school, if, if that's how you use that phrase. I don't think it is. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I wish she would. I mean, me personally, I wish that she would have kept gotten kept getting work and continued working but she hasn't worked since 2017 which is unfortunate um maybe she's doing some smaller projects that don't even have a page on IMDb but who knows but she was great and they they torture her real bad and at the end like I don't even know if I want to repeat what happens at the end, but what was kind of interesting to me is that the whole mo the whole movie they're torturing her, they're torturing women and showing tortures of women, and they're beating this girl up. And then at the end, it's like the climax of the movie, the last step in the process, and they're going to flay her alive. So they start to do it. They they close up, close in, close up in on her face, and they start to do it. And then they cut away. They don't show it, which, you know, on the one hand, I am grateful for because you know I don't think I want to see it. But at the uh, on the other hand, it's like, well, you showed all this other stuff, so why wouldn't you show her being flayed alive? Um, I don't know. Maybe that was one step too far for the director or the producers or the writer but i guess i am grateful that they didn't show it but at the end they show her like skinless it's it's, it's a rough movie it's a rough watch if you don't like really gross out stuff torture stuff i'd say stay away from martyrs but basically the end of the movie is these people, these, and I had to read Wikipedia as well for this. Sometimes I would read ahead on the Wikipedia while I'm watching the movie. I think it's a, it's somewhat of a defense mechanism for me because the movie kind of freaks me out. So reading up ahead about it kind of just buffers the blow or I don't know what I'm saying, but, um, there's a secret society of people who torture young women. They tried little girls, but they had more success with young women in order to gain insight about the afterlife and turn them into martyrs because in the past, um, people or I guess young women have become martyrs due to suffering, intense suffering. So they think by... in inducing inducing intense suffering on young women they will gain insight into the afterlife so they they punish this girl over and over again and then she has the same look the same eyes as these women have in the past and so all these older people gather around is like oh we have reached it we have gotten the results we want and then at the last minute the leader of this society, I don't know, she ends up killing herself. And they don't really say what the girl said, whispered to the the leader of the society. But I'm assuming it's like, you know what, fuck off. 
you know, all this suffering you did to me, even if I got inside, I'm not going to tell you, you fucking bitch. Um, they don't really divulge what she whispered to her, but I'm assuming that's something to the effect of that. So she ends up killing herself, and that's the end of the movie. Rough stuff. Rough stuff. I I saw that one of the new episodes of We'll See You in Hell is another Shudder pick, Memory, The Origins of Alien. So I watched that. I have not listened to the new episode, but I, I watched this documentary, and it's a great documentary um, on the origins of Alien and how Dan O'Bannon, he's the writer for Alien, and he was kind of an eccentric dude, and... He had like 30 pages written of this story. I think it was called, he called it memory. But it was interesting to see all the influences and all the sources that came together to create the first alien. Um, H.R. Geiger was a big influence in terms of the painting and the art that he does. And um, the the image of the alien and how the alien looked and functioned. And then Ridley Scott came on as director. And um, there's just a lot that went into it. And it was a really great documentary um, showing what went into the formation of the movie. And I watched the Alien franchise a few years ago for the first time. And I really liked Alien because it was tense. I thought it was just a really well put together movie. Um, the suspense, there was like long, quiet shots that I really liked. And I actually agree with Joe DeRosa because I like Alien a lot better than Aliens. I, I feel like I want to give Aliens another shot, but... When I watched it after watching Alien, Aliens just felt like kind of a, an action movie and it took away all the suspense and all the the slow burn of the first one and it went away with the second one. And it couldn't help to me pale in comparison to Alien, but I want to watch it again. Maybe I'll watch it sometime soon. Who knows? I have like the anthology and the quadrilogy. I bought them all um, a few years ago. I did not like Alien 3. I thought it was long and boring. And surprisingly, I liked Alien Resurrection, I think. The fourth one that everyone hates. I thought it was just kind of fun. Um, I I just, I liked it. I kind of liked it. Um and then I tried watching Alien vs. Predator, and I couldn't get past the opening scene, so I haven't seen either of those movies. But Memory, The Origins of Alien is a great doc that I highly recommend. Next, I watched Finn, which was one of, if not the most disturbing documentaries I've ever seen. My favorite documentary... Um, I used to say it was The Cove. Well, maybe I still say that it's The Cove. 
I have a strange fascination with the ocean and orcas in particular, killer whales. I just like them a lot. And, you know, I, I like that documentary Blackfish. And so I like the the documentary The Cove. It's just a really great documentary. It's all it almost comes off as like a, a thriller. Um like a thriller adventure movie, but it's a documentary. And the footage that they get at the end is very disturbing and you know it it just sucks if you watch through it. So I think Finn might might be more disturbing than the cove. I, I'm not sure. Only time will tell. But it's done by Eli Roth, and Eli Roth has done a bunch of horror movies that mo- I mostly have not seen. I think he did Knock Knock. I saw Knock Knock. Um, it was fine. Chris, uh, Keanu Reeves was he put on a weird performance, but Anna de Armas is hot. So, I think this is the first documentary that Eli Roth has done, and it's it's good, it's well put together, but it's disturbing. So, the first thing that I saw in the... I had to watch this in chunks, in small chunks. Like, I remember watching it, and I watched it on Discovery Plus, like I'm doing the, like, one month of discovery plus on prime and i i remember thinking it was so disturbing that i had to stop and i was hoping i was almost done with the documentary and i I had only watched 15 minutes of it and i'm i think it was like an hour 40 maybe so i had to watch it a a few minutes i would stop and then i watched another few minutes then i'd stop and that's how i finished I wasn't sure if I was ever going to finish Finn, but I did. So the first moment that I really had to stop was they go out on a small boat and this guy f- catches a shark and Eli Roth is like, can we offer to pay him so that he'll let, let the shark go? Because um, there's like language barriers throughout the whole documentary. And then all of a sudden the guy takes a bat and he like whams it on the shark's head. So the, the nothing. I mean, it doesn't splatter or anything. His head doesn't explode. But you know, I I imagine he just banged up his brain. Uh, maybe not to the point of death, but you know, brain damage. If you're whamming a, a, a bat to a shark, a live shark's head, and that was disturbing to me. But then the most disturbing thing then if you if you cringe at like no one's listening but if you cringe at this sort of stuff like fast forward like 40 seconds but the most disturbing thing i saw was there was a huge whale shark um on land and these people were taking a huge huge saw and cutting the whale shark into slices and you can see that the whale shark is still alive and breathing like struggling to breathe and they are quote unquote processing the whale shark whatever that means and they are cutting him into large slices while he's still alive while he's still breathing 
And that was very disturbing to me. And I had to pause it for a while and try to get that image out of the head. But good thing that I'm reliving the memory now and talking about it so I can have the memory and divulge the memory to all the non-listeners listening now. But, you know, Eli Roth inserts his horror abilities and skills and his affection for horror into this documentary. And at one point, he juxtaposes, you know, footage of sharks getting slaughtered and sliced up and beat up and cut up with, I don't know if it's stock footage, but I'll just say stock footage of people putting cream on their face, you know, stuff that shark materials are inserted, like squalene or squalene is put, like shark material is put into a bunch of stuff like for face creams and stuff and obviously shark fin soup for rich people uh, i i'm guessing in china or hong kong or something and you know whenever whenever i see a doc like that i i think to myself i wish i were a vegan i really wish i was and i told my wife that because i did go vegan for about a year and I felt good about it. I felt great. I felt great ethically. I lost weight because when you try to go vegan, you don't crave food as much because who craves vegetables? You know, who craves lettuce? I don't crave lettuce. But once you decide to go vegan, you stop craving food as much because vegan food, you know, you can make it good, but it's not not really a delicacy in my opinion you know i'm sure vegans crave food but what me as a form at that time as a former meat eater seafood eater whatever eater dairy eater who went vegan for a year i stopped craving food because i already explained it but so i lost all this weight but it's hard to keep that lifestyle up when your wife when your parents, when everyone around you doesn't have that lifestyle, um, it's just hard to keep it up. And so I watched this doc, Finn, and literally days later, I was eating sushi. And, you know, it's a huge hypocrisy on my part that I have to recognize, of course, but uh, that's just life. And I, I wish, you know, I wish I could do better. But Finn is a good documentary. It's disturbing and effective. And I hope, you know, I don't have the affinity. Is it affinity? I don't have the affection for sharks like I do with orcas. But, you know, the whole message that people have been trying to convey for years is that you know, Jaws, Jaws was a, I, I have never seen Jaws. I want to see Jaws. I've never seen it. But Jaws did, it was a great movie. It is a great movie as all, by all accounts. But it was so effective in getting people to be scared of sharks and wanting to kill sharks. And um, the statistics are like sharks don't attack humans 
it's very rare. It's like six. Oh, I I forget the statistic, but it's very low. Let's say like six per year, and one of them is lethal. That can't be right. But so a lot of these shark fans and conservationists are like you know sharks are beautiful animals and they shouldn't and the more we kill sharks the worse it is for the ocean and the environment and humans overall so we need to stop and there's all these illegal fishing operations that are terrible so i wish the best for eli roth and for sharks um i watched game night Game Night to me was surprisingly funny. And, you know, there there is a feeling when you encounter a funny comedy these days where you're like, wow, I'm surprised that this is funny because most comedies are not funny. And most things that people consider comedy and funny are not comedy and are not funny. And Game Night was pretty funny and um jesse plemons really stole that movie in a big way for me like i want to go back and watch his opening scene because i just found it to be hilarious and his performance he plays it just like any other character that he's ever played like it reminds me of his like antlers performance or his power of the dog performance and it's the same kind of performance, but in a comedy, it's hilarious. And I remember when he said, how is that profitable for Frito-Lay? <laughs> it, I just found it very funny, and he was great in it. He really stole that movie for me. And even, even in saying that this movie was very funny, it's just there's a few big laughs, and then they're like scattered and then they go on this like you know kind of comedy thriller thing and you know the when you laugh when i laugh at a comedy you can't laugh non-stop throughout a whole comedy cuz there has to be parts in it that are not funny to like balance it out you have to insert story bits and all this stuff so you know, I, I I, think it's a very good comedy, but I wasn't laughing like the whole time. And, you know, I, rem- I remember Jason Bateman when Dexter hurls the knife at him and then he goes right in the bullet hole. Like that made me laugh a lot. And, you know, my brother made a point that Jason Bateman has been playing that same character for years as well. Like I've mentioned in the past like Seth Rogen and Ryan Reynolds and Chris Pratt. But I don't know. I guess everyone gets to choose who they like because I like Jason Bateman, even though he's playing the same character. And I don't like Seth Rogen because he's been playing the same character. I don't like Chris Pratt because he's been playing the same character. But I do like Ryan Reynolds. So, like, again, hypocrisy rears its ugly head. But what are you going to do? So Game Night is very funny, surprisingly funny. I watched Wrath of Man. 
um, and they reviewed this on We'll See You in Hell. They liked it a lot. It was Joe DeRosa's number one movie of 2021. So I watched it with my wife. I watched Game Night with my wife as well. I watched Wrath of Man, and it was very good. Although, the opening scene, and let me just explain the opening scene. The opening scene to me, at the time when I was watching it, was it felt to me one of the worst opening scenes in a movie I've ever experienced, ever. And it's because it's these two guards in like a armored cash car that are talking to each other the dialogue is weird the the acting is worse and spoiler alert the two guys get killed immediately after so i understand if you're gonna have two actors say a few lines and then get killed you're not gonna get obviously a-list actors you're just gonna get two essentially extras unknowns to act out the scene and then they get killed but i don't know the dialogue didn't work for me the the acting was i thought was terrible and then i didn't understand what was going on the camera angle was weird the audio was weird because they were switching back between what seemed like walkie-talkies of the bad guy and then walkie-talkies of police it i just thought it was weird although like by the end of the movie that opening scene was it was nothing it it didn't matter like by the end of the movie that that couldn't have bothered me any less that opening scene but opening scenes for me are really important and really essential because they set the scene they set the mood for the entire movie so when you have this movie that i when you have this opening that i interpreted as terrible it really set the scene like how am i gonna like this movie now when the opening was so bad but again like i said by the end of the movie it it kind of made sense and and joe was like really praising the opening because the camera is set like in the back seat like the point of view of the cache and it's a it's a weird opening it's a strange opening it's a strange camera angle but you know throughout the movie they show the different perspectives and they show that scene through the perspective of the bad guys through the perspective of the kid so it it made it made sense by the end but uh, it's it's like a risky move to put that right up front where everything everything doesn't make sense but by the end it it did make sense but the movie overall is very good um it takes a, a few twists and turns and i like the performances in it i like the way the story was told in like three or four different acts the first one was like um, Dark Spirit. The second one was Scorched Earth. Third one was Bad Animals Bad. Fourth one was Lungs, Spleen, Heart or something like that. Um, it was an interesting way to tell the story. Uh, I got confused at parts. There's one part that still confused me. It was 
So Jason Statham plays the the leader of this, you know, whatever you want to call it, crime mob, crime syndicate, whatever. And he's talking to Mike. Mike's one of his underlings. And Mike's like, I need you to do this thing. Just tell me which way it turns. So H is um, looking which way the truck turns. And then he says, right. So he tells Mike, right. And then these guys stop the truck and they steal the cash and they end up killing H's kid, Dougie. Spoiler alert. And the way they told the story, I couldn't help but think, well, H told them right and these guys stopped the car. So wouldn't that, wouldn't, A, wouldn't that mean that these guys are working with Mike? And B, isn't that what the audience is going to think? Like, you tell Mike the truck went right, and these guys stop it. Aren't you going to think that these guys are in cahoots with Mike, and in turn, in cahoots with H? So I didn't understand it. Like, why these guys didn't know who Dougie was, they didn't know who H was, when I thought that they were in cahoots with Mike. So... That part still confuses me to this moment, um, but it's it's not a deal breaker. Like I, I still really like the movie, and Scott Eastwood was good in it, and I liked him a lot in I Want You Back. At first, it's like, okay, you got this tall, good-looking guy playing the ex-boyfriend of Jenna, whatever her name is, Jenny Slate. But he played he he played that role well, and I I like that he's he can do uh, romantic comedies and these kind of serious kind of thriller movies, and of course it makes sense he's Clint Eastwood's kid and he's a good looking dude, but he he's a good actor as well. I liked Statham in that role as well. I was reading up on him and he, you know, a lot of his criticism is that he um he's his performances are kind of one note which I can't argue but in this movie it's it's not too much action it's more like there's a a calmness about his performance in this movie that was it really fit and you can tell that he's a dude that you just do not mess with and I I liked him in it. I um I I thought he was good. I liked the movie. And Holt, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, the guy who played Bullet, Holt McElhaney. I liked him a lot in what's that movie? Or what's that show? Mind Hunters. I thought he was great in that show. And spoiler alert, I it's I was bummed to see that he ended up a bad guy, but you know, Joe De- Joe DeRosa made a remark that he he plays a level of likability in this movie, like a John Candy level of likability, which is true. And of course, the guy Richie did that on purpose. You have to like this guy, so when the turn happens, it's more effective. Although, 
I did feel like they were kind of building up, like, who's the guy? Who, who's the guy? Who's their inside guy? Who's the the inside man of the bad guys? And when, when Bullet finally reveals it, I felt like it was kind of anticlimactic, and I'm sure they did that on purpose, but they were just driving in the car, and, and Bullet just tells H just really nonchalantly and casually. I felt it was a little anticlimactic. But overall, and I like that scene where I forget, I forget the guy's name. The boy sweat Dave, um, when he realizes there's something gone wrong and they're like taking bullet hostage, his freak out scene was very effective. And I, I thought it was, I was laughing because you could tell that these guys are supposed to be macho and manly men, but nothing usually goes wrong on the job. And when it does, he just freaked out. And that scene really made me laugh. But Wrath of Man is a good movie. Well done. So let's get to Superman. Uh, I watched Superman. I also I watched the extended cut. And I... I, I tried to find out what was different between the extended cut and the theatrical cut. And I usually would just get vague descriptions like extended scenes of Krypton, of Smallville. So I don't really know. I can't really tell the difference between extended cut and theatrical cut. I also watched the documentaries Taking Flight, The Development of Superman, Making Superman, Filming the Legend, and the magic behind the cape. So Superman, um, I liked it. Um, I did find it a little bit hard to appreciate the movie in 2022, since we are in, I don't know what you'd want to call it, but a new age of superhero movies. I mean... I think Iron Man came out in 2008. It's now 2022 and effects have gone a long way. So, but I, I'm trying to put my mindset, I'm trying to get the right mindset of how, like how influential this movie was in terms of the effects. And this was like pre-computers and, you know, they... Prior to making the movie, they had no idea how to make Superman fly. So it was a time of experimentation, and I appreciate that, and I respect that, and I admire that. And now, you know, with the advent of CGI, like anything can happen at any time by any means through computers. And there is less of a thrilling factor less of an adventurous factor because you can make anything happen on the screen but during the making of this movie they didn't know how to make him fly so there's all this experimentation of like animations and wires and shooting dummies out of cannons and um using remote remote um superman dolls and planes and all this stuff so, like, I respect all that stuff. And the movie, I liked it. And I don't know 
I I'm not gonna, I don't think it's the first superhero movie. There's no way that's true, but the whole thing about um you know when he first gets his powers or when the whole origin story and you know the whole montage of him stopping criminals that has been done so many times now after the fact i wonder if richard well he didn't write the movie but mario puzo did from he wrote like the godfather and a bunch of stuff but i wonder if this movie was that much of a prototype of the superhero move origin story um let's go back to the beginning so this is the first time I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've ever seen the movie in its entirety because some of it felt familiar, but most of it did not feel familiar at all. So the beginning on planet Krypton, that whole chunk didn't feel familiar to me at all. So I saw Marlon Brando. I think it's the first movie I've ever seen with Marlon Brando in it. Um, I haven't seen any of the Godfather movies. Um, so there's this whole section with a Krypton on Krypton and there's Jor-El and Lara, I think. And Jor-El is telling the other, well, at first he's talking to these judges, how they need to judge these three criminals before them all. And it's Zod and the other two. I don't know the other two. And then, so immediately I was like, oh, this is the movie with Zod and the three bad guys in the black suits, because I remember that. And spoiler alert, that's, uh, I'm pretty sure that's Superman 2. So he's telling these judges, you need to judge these people, and they're like, guilty. So they're, they're sentenced to the phantom zone or whatever this glass comes and takes them away and they're trapped a living living eternal living eternity i i'm not speaking words right but they they're trapped forever and then jorel's like but they're living nonetheless and he has these theories that this sun or something is going to destroy their planet but everyone else is vain and they're like we we accept your data we don't accept your conclusions and they're basically telling him to shut up and he's like this planet is going to be destroyed very soon and no one will believe him so Jorel and Lara decide to send their only child Kal-El in this little spaceship towards earth so planet krypton gets destroyed and this little spaceship is hurling towards earth meanwhile he jor-el somehow recorded like his voice or his entity into a crystal and he's able to speak to the baby kal-el and kal-el it takes three years for him to reach earth so he becomes he turns from a baby into a toddler in three years and then he crashes into Earth and he's found by John and Martha Kent who decide to raise him as his own. And there's this second chunk that takes place in Smallville. And I keep I keep reading that it was compared to like a Norman Rockwell painting. 
And I don't remember this at all. I don't remember teenage Clark Kent at all. So I've I had never seen I had never seen the Krypton parts, and I had never seen the teenage parts because I don't remember teenage Clark Kent at all. And there's I I thought the running part looked ridiculous. And you know I'm not hating on the movie, but. I'm just giving my opinion. And, you know, keep in mind, this is pre-computers. This is pre a lot of the modern effects that we have today. So, but the way he's running, he looks weird. So I don't, like, he has his arms way out in front as if he's punching or something. It looked very weird to me. Also weird to me was there was a little girl on the train who says, I saw a boy running faster than a train is like, a little girl and the little girl is lois lane so i just immediately i was i thought it was weird like okay this is like almost like pedophilia well and uh, they didn't get together yet but at that time he was in high school and she was a little girl so i couldn't help but feel like what the heck what the heck is this pedophilic tendencies anyway um clark Kent's father, John Kent, has some sort of heart attack and he ends up dying. And then teenage Clark Kent feels like he has to leave. He has to like find himself. He has a calling. So his mom's like, I, I knew this time would come. So he travels far and wide. He ends up in a place that looks like Antarctica. Um... And he finds a weird light. He hurls the crystal into the light. And then out comes the Fortress of Solitude. And then his dead father through some sort... I, I call it an AI technology, but it's not AI. But somehow his father's able... His dead father's ghost is able to speak to him. He's like kind of self-aware, but obviously his the ghost of his dead father is dead but somehow they're able to communicate and i i be, i was under the impression that he teaches clark kent all this stuff and he tells him all this stuff all his, his knowledge skills and experiences and tells him who he is who he came from and i was under the impression that this whole process took 12 years I'm not sure if that's the case, but they have all these weird space images that later on I found out was a bunch of like close, really close up amoebas and stuff like that that was given to them for the movie. And I I believe at one point Marlon Brando, sorry for all the puzz, I believe Marlon Brando says at one point like, after this process, 12 years will have passed. So I, I believe that this process took 12 years. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe I misunderstood it. But by the end of that process, he has learned a lot through Jor-El. And he has grown into this Superman that we know. And he has grown into Christopher Reeves and he flies off. And then he gets a job at the Daily Planet. He meets Lois Lane. 
and you know the in- adventure ensues from there and meanwhile gene hackman is a great lex luthor he is aided by a bumbling buffoon played by ned Beatty, and this hot lady and at first i didn't really understand why lex luthor wanted to kill superman and then later on i kind of found out that he had these master criminal plans to destroy the west coast so he could make it his own like luther town or whatever and he didn't want superman to interfere that's why he wanted to collect the meteorite and and impede if not kill superman at least impede him for a while while his plans manifested so he kind of disguised himself and his partners and was able to cuz the i guess the US was testing out these missiles so he reprogrammed the missiles to go haywire in two different directions and Lex Luthor says to him even with your great speed you won't be able to stop them both and um so the lady miss Tesserbach or something she says my mom's in Hackensack New Jersey's so he she tells Superman you need to stop the one going to New Jersey and he goes but Lois and Lois Lane and Jimmy and she goes no please you have to promise so he promises so he stops the Hackensack missile but the one hitting the the one the other one ended up hitting San Andreas fault So um, Superman, he uses his body to fix the rail of a speeding train, saves a bunch of people. He goes underground through lava. He helps put the fault back or whatever. He saves Jimmy Olsen. And then by the time he reaches Lois, his her car had been engulfed in an aftershock through the cracks and she gets buried and crushed and suffocates. So Superman, he gets he becomes devastated when he finds her, and then he flies up into space, and then he goes around Earth super fast, somehow spinning the Earth in the other direction and reversing time. So this part I remember from uh, when I was a kid. And I thought it was ridiculous as a kid. I think it's ridiculous in 2022. So here's here's my conundrum. My question is, how? Why would speeding? Why would going around the Earth reverse time? How? Why that would work? That's my question A. But B. I realize that's a ridiculous question to ask when I believe that there's a man flying around who's invincible. So why am I able to buy that aspect of Superman, but I can't buy him going around the earth a bunch of times and reversing time, you know? I guess the point is that he is the embodiment of the impossible. He's able to do the impossible and... Anything is possible with Superman. 
But that being said, I still find it ridiculous that he's able to, like, (laughs) just, I don't, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. How is spinning Earth in the other direction going to reverse time? It doesn't make sense. But how does it make sense that he's flying, you know? It it reminds me of, like, Pixar. Um, I remember when the trailer for Up came out and I I was reading the Wikipedia. And I was like, come on, an old man putting a bunch of balloons on his house and flying the house uh, miles and miles, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's kind of unbelievable. But at the same time, I have no problem with self-aware talking toys. I have no problem with talking monsters. But the flying house with balloons just was a one step too far to me. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking like jokingly. But it is weird that I am able to buy certain things and not buy other things. So the whole turning back time, I, I don't know if I have no idea if other people had issues with that to this day, to this moment. I don't know if other people didn't like that aspect or had a problem with it like I do. I just think it's weird like again i'm going to say it for like the third time but why would spinning the earth on its axis in its other direction reverse time how does that work why would that work it's i'm i'll move past it but overall i did like the movie and i'm glad i watched it i i bought the the whole set it's like the anthology 1978 through 2006 I do find it weird that they lump Brandon Routh's movie Superman Returns with Christopher Reeve's um, quadrilogy. I guess it's considered a direct sequel to those movies. Um, and then Henry Henry Cavill Harry Ca- Henry Cavill's dceus are considered a separate entity i guess but um like brandon routes is always included along with christopher reeves four movies so i bought the blu-ray set um and i'm glad i did um i went through the special features i started the commentary with dick donner and Tom Mankiewicz or something like that. I hope to finish it one day, but I just I didn't want to watch it the whole movie again uh, right after I watched the extended cut. But I plan on listening to that commentary eventually. And you know, I again I respect, admire and appreciate all the effort and the the revolutionary stuff that they were able to accomplish in 1977-1978 for this movie because this was very pre-computers and you know some of the sets were miniaturized miniature 
And I could tell, and I'm assuming at the time, people, it was just groundbreaking for the time, the technology they were able to pull off with miniature sets, with, you know, sped up cameras, with wires, with blue screen. Um, It's just, it's hard for me to look back because of now the inundation we are with CGI technology. So, um, but I like, I did like the movie a lot and, you know, there's all of these stories of how they, who they wanted to cast for Superman and they were like desperate. And one lady was, went to, there's a story the casting director says about someone who went to a, a dentist and she looked at the dentist and it was like, you look like Superman. Like they were so desperate to find him. So they, I think they had him come in for an audition. So they, you know, they auditioned a bunch of guys who looked the part but couldn't act. They they auditioned people who could act but weren't a good fit for Superman so the casting director was like, I think we should go with an unknown so they could, uh, either the casting director or Dick Donner, so that people could really, so they, people could really believe that this guy could fly, this Superman could fly. So it's the curse of like, if you put a name in there, it's like, no, I, I know you, I know you're a you're a well-known actor, so I can't picture you as um, Superman. You, I don't think of you as Superman. I think of you as Paul Newman or whatever. So, it was Christopher Reeve's second movie, and I think he's excellent in the movie. Um, he's great as Clark Kent. He's kind of bumbling and he's kind of stuttering. And then he's great as Superman. When he takes the glasses off, he's another person. He's suave. He's slick. He's confident. And he he really is playing kind of a, a dual role. And I think Margot Kidder is great in the movie. Um, she's kind of plucky. And it's interesting how she, she plays she reacts to Superman and Clark Kent accordingly. So when Clark Kent asks her to dinner, she kind of brushes him off, constantly dismisses him. But when she confronts Superman, uh, she's like, she starts swooning and she's like in love with the man. So I, I love the casting. Gene Hackman is great as Lex Luthor. Um, Overall, I, I liked it. Um, I there's there's no way to you know I was born in the eighties, so this movie came out when I I wasn't born yet. So I, you know, sometimes you watch an older movie and you're blown away, like me with two thousand one. And that movie holds up in a big way. And that movie came out in like 68, I think. And that movie is so good. And this movie, like, for me, as much as I appreciated it, you know, I can tell the 
the miniature sets and um you know the the effects of the bullets bouncing off of him it looks like i i hate to say the word bad but it doesn't look great and it's just you know it's hard when you're comparing it to the technology of today but that being said like there's there is such thing as like over cgi like even people jumping in a cgi setting it doesn't look realistic it looks cgi so it's like i don't know there there has to be some sort of combination that they can do between like slight cgi and slight realistic or like and and i get that it's more safe to go the cgi route than use a bunch of stuntmen but stunt men stunt women but um like i watched i tried watching the first episode of halo i've never played halo before and i watched it the beginning was a little rough then it got cool when the aliens came in and the spartans came in but even when the spartans were like jumping five feet it, it still looks like cgi to the point of death um I mean, you can't have a guy jump down with wires or something. I don't know. But um, but even like Harry Potter, the first one, has um, a bunch of weird CGI scenes. When he's flying on that broom, it looks ridiculous. I think that was t- 2001, I want to say. And then Spider-Man, I think, was 2002, maybe. When he's jumping on the rooftops, it looks ridiculous. So it's like there was a time at the beginning, beginning-ish stages of CGI where they couldn't get it right. And I'm sure that Superman from 1978 looks better than some of the beginning-ish stages of CGI, like the first Harry Potter and the first Spider-Man movie. Um, I just... I love that it was a a time of experimentation and it's like punk rock filmmaking where prior to the movie, they don't know how to make him fly. And then by the end, the tagline for the movie, you will believe a man can fly. And I love all that stuff. And I... I'm trying to appreciate all the effort and all the special effects that they put into this movie um, and how prototypical and influential that movie was for future superhero movies. And, you know, I've said it a bunch already, but it's just kind of annoying that CGI has taken over and it looks, it can look good, it can look great, but it's it feels like cheating in a bad way like cgi can really make you make someone look like they're flying but it's cheating you know in 77 78 they were really doing some creative like you can really work you could have really been creative back then and now it's like oh let's cgi it 
So that aspect of it sucks. But I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing two. I'm going to, I guess I'll watch the Donner cut. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have the energy to see two different cuts of the movie back to back. Um, it just, it feels tiring. All right, that's enough from me. Um, again, I if I don't think anyone's listening to this, and I, I just want to apologize for being me. I apologize for my personality and my soul and for inflicting it onto the world through audio. Um, I don't like me. I actually hate myself a lot. And there's no reason why I should record my voice in any setting. My setting, my voice is monotone and boring. And it, um, if I'm being honest, it sounds like I'm suicidal. Um, thanks for listening. Stay odd and keep on playing.